for, for sure. And so Philippians chapter 3, we're looking at verses 15 to the end. And so I'm going to read it first to you. So hear the word of the Lord. Philippians 3, 15 through 21. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk, so as you have us for an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. God bless his word. Shall we pray again? Father, give us understanding, and that by your Holy Spirit, a kind that we cannot attain on our own at the mental and intellectual level. It is an understanding that transcends even that. And thus, Lord, wisdom impart, we pray, for our souls, that we may navigate our course more intently and more fastidiously according to your will as revealed in the Holy Scriptures. In Christ's name, amen. Our heavenly citizenship. If you're a Christian, you're not a citizen of this world trying to get to heaven. You are a citizen of heaven making your way through this world. Heard that somewhere? Perhaps read it? We're still talking about Christian maturity from the last time. Philippians 3.14, which reads, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And that's not just to ordained ministers and elders and deacons, by the way, but that's to all of God's people. That is the calling of salvation and to living our lives for Jesus Christ. The word perfect in the next verse, verse 15, which is part of our text, is that very thing. Christian maturity. And it starts up here, believe it or not, in the head. You need to keep your head in order to make your way through this world. But it's a head, of course, that has been enlightened by the Holy Spirit. And so the first topic of three that we'll endeavor to cover this afternoon is our mind. And I say our because both you and I are on this path together. 
And there are two kinds of minds that are expressed here. Thus-minded and otherwise-minded are the terminologies of the apostle. In verse 15, let us therefore, as many as be perfect, mature, be thus-minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise-minded, God will even reveal this unto you. The latter is also reflected in verse 19, and it speaks of those who mind earthly things. The otherwise-minded is to mind earthly things, to set your affections on things on the earth instead of on things above, where Christ sits at the right hand of God. Thus-minded, meaning you mind the Lord, just like children when you tell them, mind your parents, right? Mind me as your daddy or your mommy. Uh, mind the Lord. Uh, not uh, have it your way or my way. Or I have a mind to. Look at all the trouble that we get into when we approach things that way, especially in, in, in a huff. Uh, when uh, we are told to take deep breaths, right? Ten deep breaths and then, and then pray and then proceed with whatever it is that you must attend to in the house or in the church. Uh, certainly, we are not to mind what others say first, unless, of course, it's pertaining to the Word of God, such as in the context of His church and the worship of His house. That is, uh, never mind what others think when it goes against the Word of God or when it's questionable according to Scripture. But rather, ask this question, what does God think? What is God's thoughts on this matter? And of course we know where that is found. If we turn to Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13, we also see more closely the mind of God. So Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. Hope your Bible's not like my new Bible. I'm having problems turning the pages. <laughs> hint, hint. <laughs> uh, verses 11 through 13 reads, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to call you to an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. What is this? What is antecedent to prayer that God answers? Is knowing his will and thus praying according to his will, which is the only prayer that God answers. Also, we are to be same minded. And that's found in verse 16 of our passage. So let's turn back to it. Philippians chapter 3. <clears throat> Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Let us be same-minded, if you will. Meaning, of like mind pertaining to the things of God. Like what is set forth by the Apostle in another earlier passage in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. If 
there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also in the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Imagine, this was the mind of Christ par excellence. And we have that set before us in the scriptures as our model. And of course, secondarily, the Apostle Paul, as he endeavored to emulate, imitate his Lord. The whole church has to be united on this point. It has to. If the church is not to be helter-skelter, if the church is not to be all over the map, and sadly, it can easily lead to that. But what does it take? It takes an understanding that there is only one truth, and that is in the Word of God. And Christ, did He not say, You are my disciples indeed if you continue in my Word. My Word is truth. And the truth shall make you free. When he prayed in his high priestly prayer, Father, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. That means set them apart from error to the truth. Set them apart from sin unto righteousness. Set them apart from, from a, a love and a reliance upon self to a love and a reliance upon me and upon you. It's Proverbs wisely and aptly puts it by the truth and sell it not. If there's one thing that you want to have, one commodity that you cannot be without, and by the way, you can find it on Amazon <laughs> if you order a Bible. <laughs> and that is what? The truth. The truth. And not only the truth, also wisdom and, and, and instruction and understanding. Proverbs 23, 23. That's an easy one to remember. That'll be our next week's or the following week's members, Lord willing. Truth is everything. And that's right here. And by the way, I'm, I'm teaching the Bible to others of different communions. And I hope I don't sound like a broken record, but I, I think I, 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 I can, because I'm always talking about this, how the center of everything is this. The center of life, the center of worship, the center of living. Because God says it. And that's it. That's enough, right? And without truth, guess what? There's no unity, as I said, and there's no peace. Now, along with our having this mindset, this exegetical mindset, this reform mindset, by the way, and that's the strength of the reform faith, is its emphasis upon an exegetical and cogent interpretation of the scriptures, understanding it contextually, understanding it um, in terms of uh, the environment in which it's placed and how God has, has entered into our world to reach us 
who are lost in sin. And so we need that mindset, but we also need prayer. We can't do it on our own. Prayer is an absolute necessity. And I would have you turn to Psalm 122, please. 6 through 8. Show the importance of prayer. Psalm 122, 6 through 8. In which David is praying for the peace of the church. He prays and says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. For my brethren and companions' sake, I will now say, Peace be within thee. I may as well throw in the last verse for good measure. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek thy good. Is that our, our mindset, to seek the good of the house of the Lord? Not just our own houses. You know, there were those uh, during the time of the minor prophets who went about building their own houses. And, and, and the Lord chastised them for that. He said, you know, you build your own houses and yet you neglect and allow to go to rubble. My house, shame on you. That's not how we should be. But like David, whose heart was indeed after one thing, and that was what God wanted. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek thy good. If you're not thus minded, as I said earlier, and you are otherwise minded instead, and you're a child of God. God will in time, his time, reveal even this unto you. I know he will. He will not let his people just go their own way. The world, yes. His church, mm -mm. no. And that's a promise. Next, we consider not only our mind, but our walk. Back in our passage of Philippians 3. Our walk. Where's that found, Pastor? Verse 17. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk, so as you have us for an example. Speaking, of course, of himself, Paul. And he's alluding also to Others who have walked similarly, like Timothy and Epaphroditus earlier on in, in this book. Wow, that's pretty bold. And someone says, follow me. Uh, <laughs> follow my example. I may be able to say that to my own family, but uh, <laughs> there's a caveat, though, to this. In following oneself, or in this case, following the Apostle Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus. And that is this found in 1 Corinthians 11. 1, 1 Corinthians 11. 1. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am. It's almost like saying, follow me when I'm, I'm walking with the Lord. But when I'm not walking with the Lord, don't follow me. 
or else you're going to end up where I've where I've ended up uh, on those uh, in those circumstances, in those pickles that I have gotten myself into in my life. You can learn from that example as to what not to do, but definitely don't follow me all the way. But only as I follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you want to follow a Christ-like example. As the Apostle Peter would put it, neither as lords or as those lording over God's heritage, but as those who are examples to the flock. And there's no better example, again, than our Lord Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 40, 11, I love this verse. It just stands out in this whole chapter of Isaiah 40 because it is so contrasting to the sovereign God, creator, sustainer of the universe that is being put on display here by Isaiah. What does it say in that verse in Isaiah 40, verse 11? He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs in his arms, with his arm, and carry them in his bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with young. What a beautiful picture of our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This is is Jesus. God first, others second, and self, what, third? Last. Last. And he tells us to put on his mind and to put on his life and to walk in his steps and not our own. Back in our passage again, only in chapter 2, but again, reiterate something I read earlier, and that is verses 3 and 4. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Is that you? Is that me? That's something that we need to ponder and to consider and to correct as is necessary and required. And when you do try to put others first, and I say that very, very particularly, when you do try, make your best effort put others first. There's a saying in this world that you might, uh, you who are in my generation connect with, take it easy on yourself. Or no, take it easy on, on your brethren. Or easy does it. In other words, uh, just remember that they're human beings and that just like you, they have feelings and understanding and be a friend first be a loved one and I mean really make that effort and it will reap dividends that you would not have otherwise 
in your endeavor to put others first. Such as when Paul would speak about the fruit of the Spirit being what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, like our Lord, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And the reason why there's no law is because you fulfill the law and you're seeking to be like your Lord, walking in the Spirit and not according to the flesh. Turn to 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25. For an example that the Apostle Paul gives for when you witness to people. If you, if you witness to people or when you witness to people, it's very important to be this way. 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, fight, or be argumentative, but what? But be gentle unto all men, all without exception, even those that are your protagonists, even those that are of not your theological persuasion, even those that are of a different hermeneutical perspective on certain secondary issues of Scripture, and maybe even primary issues of Scripture, such as eschatology. Believe it or not, that's a primary doctrine. In meekness, instructing those who oppose themselves. God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. The, can you see how the Apostle Paul is putting this all together? And he's showing that our testimony is everything. It's not secondary. It is not, well, give him the truth and if he doesn't like it, forget it. No. You want to present Christ in all of his fullness, both in truth and in love. And when you do, you have more of a chance, use that word sparingly, of winning that soul than if you just went at it like a bull in the china shop, Let's, like, like most of us reformed people are prone to do, like the young and the restless, like when you were the young and the restless, do you remember those days? Those of you who've been in, in the faith a longer time, and how you're right and they're wrong, right? And you're saved and they're not saved. Uh-uh, uh-uh, I've since learned. <laughs> we need to be very careful because the Lord says, judge not lest ye be judged. He says, before you endeavor to pull the mote out of your brother's eye, the speck out of your brother's eye, take the beam, the log out of your own eye so that you can see clearly to be able to do the latter or the former, as the case may be. Meaning, to thine own self be true. To the Lord be true. And you're seeking to be that and all that you can for Christ. Then you can begin the task of being that to others. Is this you? Is this me? And I see that our time is fleeing, but we will endeavor to complete this point. We talked about our walk and how to. There's also how not to. And more is said about that, about how not to, than how to. Notice the two verses in 
in question 18 and 19 of our passage in Philippians chapter 3. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. This has to be serious when you consider all the warnings that the apostle is issuing here. Weeping, enemies, destruction, shame. It is most serious. False teachers abound. That's part of the landscape has always been since the beginning. Remember what our Lord said, by their fruits you shall know them. And by that, yes, he was talking about the fruit of their lips, the fruit of truth, or in this case, of error. It's not, but it's not just what is preached and taught that we are to watch out for. It is also how that is lived out by them. Fruit is more than teaching and making followers for Christ. I, I know we had a little bit of a, uh, texting uh, of messages back and forth about what fruit is. And uh, fruit is, yes, even the winning of souls to Christ. As our Lord spoke about, you have not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go forth and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. Those are the souls that the apostles who have been charged with the task of, of spreading the gospel would, would obtain as a result of their ministry. But that's not all. There's the fruit of the Spirit that we read about earlier. There's the fruit of righteousness and to those who are exercised thereby of living the Christian life, of living it to the glory of God. And by the way, these that he is referring to, for the most part, are not those who oppose Christ, those who are not proclaiming the gospel of Christ. They were quite reformed, if you will, in their doctrine, as we would say. They had reformed theology, as we would say. But did they have reformed faith? And I'll add one more thing. Did they have reformed faithfulness? Because that's where the rubber meets the road. Did their lives correspond to their lips? Did their works to their words? Did their practice jive with their doctrine? He calls these enemies of the cross. If any would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We are to die to self and to live to God. This is what our Lord meant. Paul to Titus puts it in similar words in Titus 1.16. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate, void of knowledge, even the knowledge of God. They don't, they don't really know God. 
They have not even begun to scratch the surface of who God is if they're living a recklessly godless life and don't care about it. I've seen some men who were very learned and very knowledgeable who were used in positions of teaching and preaching in the church over the years, who went even to seminary, but whose lives were a shamble. Their life at home was not in order, and yet they had the most orderly library you will ever find and can bless the church in that way. I even heard of a neighbor when I was newly converted who lived next door to where I was living with a relative and no sooner had she found out I was a believer began to pour her heart out about her husband who was mightily used in her salvation and the salvation of, of many many people probably as a pastor but who left the faith and there are other horror stories like that this is dead serious for without the spiritual life the Bible talks about, you're dead and still in your sins. Hebrews 12, six, sorry, 14 speaks to this. Hebrews 12, 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord doesn't mean that our good works saves us save us what it means is that our good works which are the evidence of truth and saving faith vindicate that we are trusting the Lord because without works the works that issue forth from a changed life from a transformed heart and a new life there's no way of knowing that you are the Lord's you see why it's important and why James speaks so much about how we are justified by our works which by the way our works are justified by true and saving faith so I beg to differ with Martin Luther who did not believe that the book of James should have been in the canon of inspired scripture it is very much part of Holy Writ and lastly, in 1 Timothy 6, 3. 1 Timothy 6, 3. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, but listen to this, and to the doctrine or the teaching which is according to godliness, he is the latter, proud, knowing nothing, doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, and surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such, withdraw yourself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. You want to know what the real riches are? You want to know what God or our Lord said that you are to treasure up in heaven? It is a kind that neither moth nor rust will corrupt nor thieves will break through and steal because they can't touch it. 
because no one can touch it because it's from God and it is to you and to me a gift a part of our salvation lastly I'll quote to you from uh, Heidelberg Catechism question 32 but why art thou called a Christian because by faith I am a member of Christ and thus a partaker of his anointing in order that I also may confess his name, may present myself a living sacrifice of thankfulness to him, and that with a free conscience I may fight against sin and the devil in this life and hereafter in eternity reign with him, with all preachers. We'll stop there. And next time in the will of the Lord, we'll continue with our citizenship. Our citizenship. So stay tuned. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we are thankful for your word. Thy word is indeed a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And it is so because it is a light in our heart that burns within us with a fiery burning that cannot be contained when your Holy Spirit applies it. We ask that, O oh Lord, you would work in our lives, that you would give us a passion as well as compassion our own souls that we would not take these things lightly nor neglect them Lord at our own demise as life and death are at stake Lord the Christian life as someone said is not a bed of roses except in the sense that there are thorns attached to those roses and oh how sharp they are sometimes even deadly sharp except for one and that is the rose of Sharon which is a picture of our Lord and Savior who himself died and shed his precious blood that we might live through him. We praise you and thank you for the privilege of having eternal life if we do and being able to live it out to your glory and honor and praise in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.